All right, we are going live. What's up, everybody? And welcome to live stream number 109. All right, this will be the official last live stream of 2021. Next week, we'll be having a Christmas concert on Tuesday. You are all invited. The information will be up soon, very soon about that. So by tomorrow, we'll have some different artists. And we also have in the presence today um, another artist uh, who's, in, who's joining us from Italy. As you can see, he has an amplifier behind him. And I knew that you were an ACDC fan because the last time we had you on doing the first part of this, this live stream, today we're doing the second part, uh, benchmarking um, Postgres workloads on Kubernetes. But what's always cool about the data on Kubernetes community, having done 110 live streams, 109, is that we've met a lot of different people, lots of different backgrounds. And so tell me, well, first of all, tell us to some folks who don't know who you are, who you are, but then tell us a little bit more about your musical background, how you got started playing guitar. Yeah, you know, how I started playing guitar is actually uh, after uh, watching uh, Back to the Future. And okay. uh, ah, because yeah, because because playing Chuck Berry. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to be, you know, Marty McFly, you know. I love it. Yeah, that, that scene was I, I used to play piano as well, you know. So when I was six, I played the piano for three years. And then I wanted to be a football player and I failed. And, uh, and then I resumed playing the guitar about yeah, 15 years ago, okay. the electric guitar. And I'm a big fan of blues and, and rock. Yeah. Okay. And you've been in a band, obviously COVID has yeah. disrupted that, but what's, what's the name of your band? The name, uh, the name of the band was The Wonderlands because the, the name of the singer was Alice Ellis. So we were the Wonderland, ah, and, uh, okay. and we were playing kind of soul rock okay. style, but yep. yeah, in, in the area, you know, in the area between uh, Prato, Prato, Pistoia, and Florence. And Pistoia is a, a renowned city for blues in Italy. Okay. So, yeah, there's a big blues community. Is there any particular reason how that came about? There's like a record store or a festival or a concert? Or yeah, there's somebody? a festival. There's a Pistoia okay. Blues is a quite renowned blues festival in Italy. Yeah. Okay, very, very good. That's curious, but it's nice to learn, you know, alongside, uh, you know, getting databases on Kubernetes and we can learn about <laughs> blues festivals in Italy. That's also good. Uh, it is the holiday season. It's no coincidence that I'm wearing this gorgeous uh, sweater, but, you know, it's all about giving. And so sharing information, sharing is caring. That's good. Um, that being said, though, today is part two for what we did a few months ago regarding benchmarking um, uh, workloads regarding exactly. uh, Postgres on Kubernetes. So perhaps for the folks that maybe haven't seen the first one, go out and watch it. I'll drop the link in the chat so you can you can find it easily. But if you can maybe just give us a little bit of context and background about how this idea got started. Yeah. Okay. And in the in the slides, I'm going to do a quick recap of. of the oh, if, yeah. So if you want, you can start. You can start sharing your slides directly if you want. Oh, so, it's, no, no. Well, whatever mean, you prefer. But, okay. Yeah, I'd like. I actually like to say, to mention how it all started. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, we. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad to be here because uh, uh, of the importance of the data on Kubernetes community. I think. There's still even even for example even yesterday I was uh, talking about a customer engagement and then there's still this you know uncertainty about about using Postgres or databases in general in Kubernetes and and so you know that that's that's the kind of era I think uh, uh, of IT uh, we are we are currently living in okay 
and uh, I'm sure the future will be will be uh, green for all of us in, in this area. It's just a matter of time. And so I think the importance of benchmarking is even even greater here in this phase because people need to be uh, assured about about running uh, stateful workloads in Kubernetes. And I think the best way to to uh, become uh, confident about about running, for example, Postgres in in a, in a Kubernetes environment is to try and break it. So try and and see push the limits, see um, uh, you know how it, it can perform. And uh, again, there's no one size fits all kind of rule. You know, you need to kind of uh, benchmark and adapt the architecture based on your on your goals and your uh, your uh, um, also uh, budget and things like that. Okay, so and and so the, the good thing is about uh, learning on uh, learning a methodolo methodology and and uh, try to understand how we can uh, tune the system for our our organization. Okay, so thanks thanks again for 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 the work that you guys are doing with with this community. Much appreciated. Yeah. No, it's re it's really nice to hear that from someone who obviously has plenty of experience and has seen and like you said, customer facing as well too. The challenges, the doubts, the reluctance. Does this really make sense? That's why we've done 109 live streams, and that's also why we have a research report. And I'm happy to drop that in the in the chat too. Is that the, we did the research, you know, interviewing over 500 organizations, so that. We don't just sound like the crazy people saying that this is a great idea. We want to have actual data showing why, you know, the, making the case for this. And, but with each conversation we have, we feel more and more confident about that. And it's great to have folks like, um, you know, EDB on board with us uh, to make that, to make those cases stronger. Um, so also mutually appreciate. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I don't know if you want to, I can start. Do it. Go for it. Sharing the slides yeah. if, I, if I'm yeah. capable of that's, doing that. That's that's so funny is that we're always talking about these advanced technologies, but things like Zoom are, are also very complex. Uh, even though we now have quite a bit of experience with it, there, there's always surprises. Um, that being said, folks, as usual, get your questions in the YouTube chat. If not as well, easy to continue the conversation in Slack. Um, we have a dedicated database channel. You can post questions there. Um, you can ask um, Gabrielle, also some other people from, from EDB that are in our Slack. Very friendly, um, happy to interact with you. So just remember, this is that we're doing this so that we can we can get these conversations going. Okay, I don't know if you can see the yep. uh, my screen. Okay, so um, yeah, uh, hang on, I'm, I'll actually move it. Sorry, I'll, I'll try and move it here. Otherwise, I can't. Can you? Sorry, I think I lost. Okay. Yeah, you're you should be okay now. I don't know, I can't see it anymore. That's okay. Uh yeah, I don't see your screen now. Um so you want to probably go ahead and share it again. One second. Okay. Let's see. It's all good. No, I can't see this. I, I don't know. One sec. Not a problem. Not a problem. While we're while we're while happening. we're getting that set up, 
we interestingly had a, a YouTube chat troll um, that I had to remove. So there's plenty of action going on. We're, and we still haven't uh, we still haven't jumped into the presentation fully. Um, that being said, though, you know, I was talking about the research report, and we're never going to get tired of talking about the research report. Okay. It's, it's very useful, and there's lots of fun stuff here. So I'm just going to drop the link in the in the chat right now. So if you want to take a look at that, there's lots of lots of good info there. Um, let's see. Now I can see your screen again. Okay, You're all good. good. Yeah. Perfect. I apologize for that. It's all good, man. No worries. Okay, so briefly, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, apart from playing, trying to play the guitar, I'm also um, really happy to be part of EDB, where I am the vice president of Cloud Native. But I've been using Postgres for many, many years now, so over 20 years, and I've I've been a member of the community for for uh, more than 15, and I'm also uh, one of the founders of, of Postgres Europe. I previously, uh, from joining EDB, I was uh, one of the co-founders of, of Second Quadrant, where I was the head of global, global support. And I also started the Kubernetes work that was uh, taken over by, by EDB. Uh, about 10 years ago, I also um, started to develop uh, an open source tool for managing backups and recovery in Postgres called Barman. I'm also a big fan of DevOps, so always pleasure to talk about DevOps, Lean, Agile methodologies, and, and leadership as well. So um, I'll tell you a bit about EDB. So uh, our mission in, uh, in uh, Kubernetes is to actually bring Postgres uh, to Kubernetes. That's, that's, that's uh, the goal of my kind of... Um, team at EDB. But EDB uh, has been contributing to Postgres for uh, uh, over 15 years. And uh, if you're using Postgres, uh, it's also thanks to uh, a few companies like uh, EDB and, and previously Second Quadrant where I was working. Uh, for example, in Postgres 14, we've had 32 contributors and this includes seven code committers and three uh, co-members. So we are considered you know, one of the major sponsors of, of the Postgres project. And we are also a, a Kubernetes certified service provider and a silver member of CNCF and the Linux Foundation. We actually were the first company to become a KCSP that uh, is vertically uh, um, focused on, on, uh, on Postgres. And we are also a Platinum uh, Foundry sponsor of, of the Data on Kubernetes community. And we're really happy to be, to be uh, in, in this uh, community, trying to, as I said, build awareness uh, about using uh, data, um, uh, databases in, in Kubernetes. So uh, as I anticipate, anticipated, I'll, I'll be going over some of the key takeaways of, of the, the webinar we ran with Francesco Canovai about six months ago. Then I'll, I'll quickly try and summarize the, the, the life of a Postgres transaction and, and how this can impact uh, when we benchmark. Okay, so uh, then propose some of the recommended architectures for Postgres in Kubernetes and describe the methodology that we, we are currently using and developing uh, to benchmark Postgres in, in Kubernetes. And one, only one thing to mention about that, because there is a very high standard for this part too. 
In part one, Francesco arrived a little bit late to the live stream because he had recently had a tooth removed. Exactly. Still did it, which was date on Kubernetes community history. We've since then had some other impressive things, but we haven't had anybody show up with a missing tooth. So I really exactly. respect him for that. And he's a karate karate instructor, you know, so. <laughs> and Normally he's knocking other more. people's teeth out. This time it was his turn. Anyway, though, keep going. Yeah, so, uh, so again, this is the link to that um, uh, webinar. You know, I had shorter hair and wearing the ACDC uh, shirt. Now it's winter, so, you know, I'm wearing, uh, you know, warmer jump. Anyway, uh, in, that, in that occasion, we talked about why using Kubernetes, why using Postgres, okay, so uh, I, I was able to focus on, uh, on the concept of cloud native, the meaning of cloud native. So, and uh, I, I was able to explain my view on that, on that concept and uh, that it's specifically more than tools. So we usually refer to cloud native as, as Kubernetes. So as the tool Kubernetes, but it's much more than that. So it's not only patterns or architecture. So for example, microservices or the operator pattern, if you want to you know, uh, bring systems into, into Kubernetes, but it's mostly about principles, values and the culture. So I still believe that without this uh, brain and engine uh, uh, and uh, methodologies like DevOps, Lean, Agile that have, uh, you know, developed in the last 15, 15 years, 15, 20 years, uh, there would not be this cloud native movement. Okay, so at least it won't be as, as uh, important as it is now. So it's all about uh, understanding the goals and the whys we are doing things in a certain way. And cloud native and Kubernetes are now uh, the expression of, of this uh, mindset, okay? Um, and uh, uh, as we all know, there's, uh, and you were mentioning that before, but there's, there's been this uh, report from driven by the data on Kubernetes community. There's the link there. And in this report, uh, we clearly see how uh, stateful workloads are becoming more popular among, among uh, users. And in, this includes databases. Uh, so the main reasons, storage classes, support for local persistent volumes, and uh, probably the operator pattern that has uh, taken um, uh, a lot of interest in, in these years. Then we, we went over Postgres. Uh, when, we, when we talk about Postgres, we have to think that it actually started in the 80s as a research project uh, created by Michael Stonebreaker, which is who's uh, one of the greatest minds in the in database technology uh, discipline. Okay, and uh, but then it was um, restarted in mid in the mid nineties. So we are talking about twenty five years of, as I call it, evolutionary innovation. So innovation, um, you know, one bit at a time. So building on top of what we built the year before. And Postgres has this uh, development life cycle that uh, lasts one year. And so every year, uh, usually in autumn, uh, there's a new release of major release of Postgres. And the, usually I, I like to refer to Postgres with this equation. Question is 
what Linux is for operating system, operating systems, Postgres is for databases. It was elected database of the year in 2017, 18, and 2020 by dbengines.com. Uh, and some of the main features are native stream replication, which is one of the reasons why I suggest, for example, to rely on these rather than uh, file system level replication for Postgres. Uh, online continuous backup, uh, declarative partitioning, parallel queries, JSON support, post-GIS support, AC transactions, and so on. I mean, the list is, is uh, infinite, pretty much. Going back to, to replication, we've, we support both physical and uh, logical replication, and synchronous and asynchronous, and also cascading. So in that, in uh, six months ago, we we talked about benchmarking the storage. Uh, so the storage is the most critical uh, component uh, in a um, in a system where a database runs. And we explained what to look for: sequential writes, f sync, uh, random writes, random reads, sequential reads, and where they fit. Okay. Uh, I won't be covering uh, storage benchmarking today. Please refer to uh, you know, the, the previous webinar and, and, and uh, Francesco explaining what he did in that area. Also, there's CMP Bench, which was introduced back then that you can use if you want to uh, benchmark using FIO. Then we talked about benchmarking the database in particular, selecting the depending on the workloads you're, you're aiming for. So in-memory databases, OLTP, OLAP. And uh, initially, our, our activity was focused on, on uh, found, finding the TPS metric, uh, uh, the transaction per second metric, on large um, OLTP workloads. When I mean large, I mean that the, the database size cannot fit the RAM of the system. Otherwise, it's primarily an in-memory uh, database. And in, in that occasion, we focus primarily on PGBench. So uh, what we learn is that we need to uh, know the storage because we need to trust the storage. Okay, so always make sure to benchmark the, the, the storage before we go in production and before we test the database. Uh, it's useless to test a database if we don't know uh, how the storage performs because the storage can be your bottleneck. Remember that if your storage is low, your database will be always slow. So again, please look back to that um, uh, webinar and uh, understand how to use, uh, how we use CMP bench in that occasion and FIO. So first I want to, uh, um, provide a quick overview, a simplified view of, uh, of uh, how transaction is handled by Postgres. And I, I want to apologize to all the Postgres experts because uh, obviously Postgres internals are more complex than these. I tried uh, to simplify the, 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 this whole workflow for, for, uh, for, uh, to clarify the concepts I want to ex um, explore today. So uh, yeah, another brick in the wall, but the brick in this case is a transaction that fits into the wall. So we've got uh, the shared buffers, that's how Postgres calls them. Uh, it's, uh, it's the Postgres cache, okay? And that fits in, 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 uh, 
shared memory. Okay, because Postgres is a is a multi-process uh, system, so um, it uses uh, shared memory. Uh, pages in Postgres are eight uh, kilobytes uh, by default, and uh, they rely on, on usually they rely on disk when the especially when the database is shut down. Okay, so we call it pgdasa. pgdasa is the directory where uh, uh, data files exist. Um, so uh, consider Postgres is running. There's a new backend. A backend is a process that manages a connection with a client. So this backend starts a transaction and maybe wants to read this uh, page that is on disk. So what Postgres does is uh, actually to read the, the, the page from, from disk, put it in the cache and serve it to the backend. And this is where we observe uh, uh, for example, random reads or optimized sequential scans in case we, we are reading uh, you know, a large chunk of a table uh, sequentially. Okay, so uh, uh, this is uh, where, for example, random reads or, or uh, sequential reads of a, of a, of a storage uh, need to be uh, measured. Okay, then maybe this backhand uh, uh, make a change to, to, to a record. So we're actually uh, changing the content of a page in the buffers. And we, uh, we actually say that the page is now dirty. Okay, so the page is dirty. So there's actually a disalignment between what's in the cache and what's on disk. Okay, but that's fine because actually Postgres, what it does, it immediately writes this information in the transaction log, okay. Uh, the transaction log is the write ahead log and uh, it's uh, organizing wall file segments which are files uh, usually uh, 16 megabytes uh, inside. And uh, they are sequentially uh, written and they are uh, continuously F-synced. So that's why it's important to measure sequential writes when we work with, with Postgres and also we make sure that we are able to have sync efficiently and effectively, okay? You know that, uh, for example, between the shared buffers and the PG data, there's also the operating system cache. So we need to make sure that with F sync we bypass that. But also uh, before, uh, uh, if we are running in a virtualized environment, for example, the, there's a, the cache, between the uh, you know the hypervisor and the and and the underlying uh, operating system. So in that case, we also need to make sure that we bypass that. And it, you know, in case we we uh, there's also cache uh, um, for storage as uh, there should be. We need to make sure that we also uh, bypass there. Or if there's a you know um, the cache uh, that there's a battery that can you know write. And data on disk uh, in case power goes down. Okay, anyway, this is all stuff that uh, applies also in the Kubernetes space. Okay, so th this was true in bare metal installations and in VMs installations, and it, it's basically the same in Kubernetes. So asynchronously, uh, and this activity happens regularly, um, the database cache is flushed on disk. So the dirty pages are uh, written on disk. This is called checkpoints, okay? There's also uh, in pages are, are flushed on disk in other occasions, but I mean, as I said, this is simplified view. So 
these activity of, of uh, aligning the cache with the, with the disk uh, is important to understand that it happens at a checkpoint time. And in this case, we could, for example, monitor or measure uh, uh, random writes. Okay, again, there are also optimization uh, for, to write uh, sequentially there, but I mean, we already need to measure sequential writes for, 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 the, for the world. So when the world file is completed, what happens is that uh, PostgreSQL marks it as ready to be recycled, okay? And uh, uh, so the, it's, it can be used, for example, in, in crash recovery. So when, for example, in one instance, the, 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 the system is shut down and that world file could be used from, from the latest to, to uh, rebuild the consistency of the database from the latest checkpoint. Okay, so all the changes are in the world files. The latest checkpoint is the last known moment in time where the data was flushed from the cache on disk and by replaying what was in the world files, that's how we, uh, we uh, achieve consistency. So hopefully, uh, uh, you know, this short, uh, short uh, overview of, of, uh, of the life of the transaction can be useful in the section now where I, I'm, I, I'm trying to recommend some, actually some architectures for, for Postgres in, in Kubernetes. So um, uh, the, the major idea here is that it's okay to start benchmarking one instance Okay, one instance at a time. So that's what we did last time. Okay, so we got one Postgres instance, we measured, uh, we benchmarked the storage and then uh, uh, the database, okay. But, and th that's okay. So that, that's important to, to, to measure, to spot the major bottlenecks, but uh, it's not enough, okay. Once we've done that, the second step is to uh, move to a real life production architecture which must consider business continuity, okay? So we need to think how we want to deploy Postgres in production and uh, in uh, uh, business critical uh, scenarios, we, we want uh, to have a very high uptime uh, for the database. So, and we need to plan for disaster recovery. Uh, which is primarily focused on RPO. RPO is the amount of um, data we can afford to lose. And uh, high availability, which is primarily focused on the recovery time objective. So after a failure, how long will it take for us to restore the service, okay? So these are uh, fundamental goals that you need to uh, be aware of before you, you actually plan a database uh, system or any system, IC system uh, in, in your infrastructures. Okay, so, um, so always uh, think about these two major goals, okay? And uh, the good thing about Postgres is that it's been designed with this in mind, especially since uh, early 2000. And uh, it's got two uh, fundamental uh, um, blocks, two fundamental features called continuous backup slash point in time recovery because you need uh, backup and then you need to recover it. Okay, otherwise without recovery, backups are useless. Okay. And backups in Postgres are made up of base backups, uh, which is essentially a copy of the, of the pages on disk. 
plus wall archiving, similarly to what was happening before with crash recovery, starting from a base backup and uh, replaying all the wall files that have been archived in a separate location, we are able to reach the co a consistency up to a point in time or up to the latest available wall. Uh, so that's that's how uh, you 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 um, uh, build a, a, a database that is resilient to disaster recovery. And um, always consider that disaster recovery, especially point in time recovery, is important when, for example, to prevent from uh, accidental human errors. Okay, for example, the the developer that forgot to uh, put a a work clause or the DBA that uh, uh, you know again, did an update without a way, a way condition, okay? So we need to go back in time before uh, that mistake. And the other uh, feature is a streaming replication that is again, based on, on the right ahead log. So you see how important the wall is for Postgres. And when we go to Kubernetes, because these are fundamental blocks, they are kind of primitives, it becomes essential to have uh, Postgres uh, managed by uh, an operator, okay? An operator written by people that know Postgres because of, of these, or how these internals are, are uh, created. So building on what, we, what I just explained before, so we've got this world file segment that is recycled, we can actually add something in between. When the world file is completed, uh, we can uh, set up Postgres to archive this world file to a separate location on a remote system. Uh, that's, uh, the, in my opinion, the, the, the safest approach. So what happens is that Postgres calls the archive command, which is an option you put in Postgres for every wall that can be archived. This is a serialized, operation one at a time, Postgres uh, archives uh, the world file. When the procedure is completed, the world file is successfully completed. The world file is re recycled. If the archive command fails, Postgres keeps uh, retrying to archive this world file. The same wall information similarly is uh, used by the so-called wall senders. Wall senders are processes that serve uh, using stream replication, the stream replication protocol, uh, stream replication clients. So stream replication clients are the standby servers usually, okay? So the replicas uh, and uh, the archive command usually ships to the so-called uh, wall archive. Both uh, these uh, um, outlets could become uh, potential uh, bottlenecks in your system. So we need to consider also these two flows. So before we, we talked about, you know, the sequential rights of the storage primarily, then we, of course we've got the memory, CPU and so on. But we also, in a business continuity scenario, we also need to consider replicas in uh, the wall archive. So here comes my recommended architecture in Kubernetes. So we've got one Kubernetes cluster, uh, or you could see also a namespace, and we've got uh, three nodes for Postgres. I'm actually uh, suggesting to have dedicated nodes with dedicated storage, uh, preferably local. 
and you could also uh, spread you uh, spread these these uh, Postgres nodes across uh, three different availability zones if they're uh, if they're available. So we've got the primary on the left. The primary uh, is continuously uh, archiving wall files to the remote location known as the wall archive. And then at the same time is streaming uh, uh, to two standbys and both the standbys are part of, 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 of uh, uh, the option called synchronous standby names in Postgres. So are part of the quorum. So um, my suggestion is to have at least one of them uh, serve as, as a, a synchronous standby. And, uh, and then uh, as a fallback mechanism, the standbys in case they fall out of sync uh, uh, or there's a problem with the stream verification uh, connection, they can use the restore command to fetch world files directly from, from, from the wall archive. So these are, uh, you know, uh, wall archiving, uh, stream verification and restore command, these are uh, possible, again, sources of bottlenecks. Uh, so, uh, again, wall writing, we saw it before, is essentially tied to the local storage and specifically sequential writes, um, the throughput of sequential writes. And uh, if there is a bottleneck, you basically have a slow database. Um, but also wall archiving can have bottlenecks because as I said before in Postgres, this is a serialized process. So only one at a time can be processed by, by uh, Postgres. They, you know, if the there's problems with the network, uh, you can slow down everything. Also performance is impacted by the, 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 the remote storage, how it performs and so on. And if we are uh, compressing the wall files. And if there's a bottleneck, as I said before, Postgres keeps retrying to archive the same wall files, uh, wall files can pile up, okay? And they can pile up where the uh, PG wall, PG wall uh, 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 directory is uh, located. It could be in the same volume where your uh, data files are or in a separate one. And that can even cause Postgres to hold, okay? Uh, stream replication again is affected by uh, the network and this uh, performance of the remote storage of the standbys. Uh, here it depends, the bottlenecks and the issues can depend on, uh, you know, uh, whether we have a high value for wall keep segments or wall keep size. So that's the number of walls that PostgreSQL keeps uh, uh, in, uh, locally on the primary. So um, beyond this number, beyond this threshold, uh, uh, the, all the wall files, these wall files are recycled. And so they disappear. So if the standby needs one of them, it's not available anymore and the standby falls out of sync. So in order to prevent this from happening, Postgres introduced replication slots. So the primary or the, you know, the source uh, uh, keeps track of, of the location needed by uh, the standby, the location in the wall, and uh, keeps the wall files needed by each standby. Uh, as you can imagine, if there's a problem on the standby, uh, wall files keep accumulating on, on Postgres. And again, we've got uh, the risk of Postgres halting. 
synchronous replication uh, can be uh, um, used in this case to slow down uh, uh, the primary. So basically the primary needs to wait for the, uh, for the write to happen also on, on the standby before commit is returned, returned to the application. However, if you do this, you're sure that the, the transaction is written on, on another node. Uh, that's, that's also the reason why uh, we recommend not to use one single synchronous standby architecture uh, only. So just with two nodes and the, the, the standby is synchronous because if there's a problem on this synchronous standby, the only synchronous standby, uh, the primary stops uh, writing. Uh, the restore command can also uh, is impacted by the same um, issues that the wall archiving could, ha could have. So the standby uh, essentially can be delayed. And also another source of uh, delay and bottleneck in Postgres is the uh, replay process of the standby. So the standby is in continuous recovery. So it's reading uh, the wall information from either the wall archive uh, through the restore command or by a streaming replication through the wall, wall receiver and reapplying the wall information. So modifying itself based on what comes from, from, from the primary. And this process is uh, limited to one CPU. So in, in case of you know, high workloads, uh, while the primary, for example, works in parallel, the, the standby needs to apply the changes in a serialized way and that can uh, uh, slow down. So that's uh, another, another recommendation is to have dedicated resources uh, uh, for Postgres, similarly to what we used to do in traditional environments, also in Kubernetes, if you can dedicate a, a Kubernetes node to one Postgres instance only. And uh, uh, there's amazing, uh, you know, uh, configuration techniques in, in the Kubernetes, uh, pod affinity, anti-affinity, not selectors, taints, tolerations, and so on. And another advice is uh, to use the guaranteed quality of service for, for Postgres, which means set requests and limits uh, in the resources of, of, of the pod, pod to, be, uh, to have the same values so that we know that that pod all, will always use uh, uh, the, the declared uh, resources. Again, if you can use local storage uh, on the dedicated node so that you can benchmark the throughput. And if you are using uh, public clouds, uh, always watch out for, for uh, uh, IOPS uh, limitations. And in the end, it's your choice. So it's, it depends on uh, the budget you have and on the cost benefits analysis that you're doing. So again, benchmarking is the activity that gives you uh, the, the amount of information you need to make decisions on, on this topic. So uh, what, what tools did we use? What methodology uh, did we use? Um, our approach is to observe. Okay, um, uh, go enter this field with uh, the, the uh, with no preconceptions, and try and, and let yourself be guided by um, uh, objective numbers 
and uh, and graphs, for example. So in, in we developed these two set of uh, Helm charts. Uh, one is called CMP Sandbox, and one is CMP Bench. They are both open source under uh, the Apache license. Uh, CMP Bench was uh, presented uh, in the last session, and uh, CMP Sandbox is uh, is essentially an evaluation platform for Prometheus, Grafana, and our operator called Cloud Native PostgreSQL. So basically, um, you can test uh, the observability capabilities of Postgres uh, using Prometheus and Grafana. Uh, then we also rely on PGStat statements, which is an extension that is available for PostgreSQL. And that uh, normalizes the queries and gives you uh, metrics, real-time metrics about how queries are performing uh, in your database. However, you can use your own Postgres setup. So you can use your favorite operator or you can use your you know, container-based installation of Postgres. Uh, you don't need uh, also uh, a CMP sandbox. You can use your existing Prometheus Grafana or another tool, okay? So uh, CMP sandbox essentially deploys a, a, a kind of a playground where you can try Prometheus Grafana and as I said, our cloud native PostgreSQL. Um, it also ships a selection of PostgreSQL metrics uh, that are built for our uh, um, Prometheus exporter that is natively available in, in the CMP and the custom Grafana dashboard that we have developed also thanks to the, to the, the experience of people that develop PG admin. Um, the main goals of, of the sandbox is to um, play with, uh, with Postgres, with Prometheus, Grafana, and also use these when you are benchmarking, okay? Because having these diagrams and graphs can help you understanding what happened, for example, in the last two days or three days and, uh, and help you make decisions. Uh, do not, my advice is not to run these in, in production, but use it for pre-production or evaluation. In production, you should use your uh, Prometheus and Grafana installation, and maybe use the metrics and dashboards that are uh, distributed with CMP sandbox. This is how you can install it. If you do this against uh, you know, uh, an existing uh, uh, Kubernetes cluster, you'll find yourself from a Prometheus and Grafana environment with also uh, the cloud native Postgres operator. And this is an example of the, of the dashboard um, that comes with it. CMP Bench, we, ha we have actually improved it from, from uh, last uh, uh, webinar. And not only we are able to benchmark uh, storage with uh, FIO uh, and PG Bench, the, the database with PG Bench, we have also introduced MADB. And uh, uh, it can also um, run against an existing Postgres uh, database. So if you have an existing database installed, for example, with another operator, you can use CMP Bench to monitor uh, that operator. So again, you don't need CMP Sandbox and you don't need uh, uh, the CMP operator. This is how you can, for example, initialize PG Bench. So uh, after you run this Helm chart, these are the values, how you can override the values of the Helm chart. 
I'm running here uh, uh, the initialization script that creates a PGBench database with a scale factor 8,000, which is approximately 120, 130 gigabytes. And uh, this is an example of a run of PGBench that runs for uh, 600 seconds, so 10 minutes using 64 clients and 128 jobs and doesn't initialize the database. So basically you can initialize once and run uh, PGBench with several times with different parameters too. This is, for example, uh, you know, a, the result of a diagram with uh, um, uh, a higher uh, number of clients um, uh, benchmarking the database. For example, th these are um, five uh, repetitions of a 10-minute PGBench test uh, with scale factor 8,000. We use the uh, three dedicated nodes on uh, AKS. These are the, the instances. They have eight cores and uh, 64 gigabytes, but uh, I set up the guaranteed quality of service with seven cores and 56 uh, gigabytes of RAM to leave some room also for uh, the, you know, the Prometheus exporter and, and uh, the management of the node. And we use premium PAD uh, storage class. Uh, the, the, there's a synchronous uh, standby and we were able to reach in this case about uh, uh, 3,000, no, two, two and a half thousand transaction per second um, by running PGBench on a separate uh, node. And there's also backup, uh, continuous backup using uh, Azure Blob containers. Uh, this is what basically uh, what we saw in, um, uh, what you can see uh, with the PG bench and uh, running uh, on CMP sandbox, an example of, of transactions. And this is what, uh, what I wanted to uh, uh, focus now. It's, it's, this is the diagram that shows the wall archiving process. Okay. As you can see, uh, this is something that we don't want to see in production. Definitely. And it's, uh, uh, it's pretty much a linear growth of, of accumulation in this case of wall files um, because the process is serialized. So Postgres cannot cope with the, the workload because the archiver process is probably slow, okay? Um, and uh, we've, we, in this case, we got simulated 36,000 uh, walls that, you know, were had been piled in the meantime, then we stopped the workload. And as you can see, you know, that the, as I call it, Gran Premio de la Montaña, you know, we got to the peak, to the top, and then now we're, we're you know, we're slowing down. So in this case, if you are in production here and you've got 36,000 36, world files that have piled up and your primary dies, uh, what happens is that those wall files have never been archived. So you've got a hole uh, in the point of recoverability of your, of your cluster. So you've got a missing history of your database in the wall archive. So maybe you've got a standby that comes up and uh, you, you can resume there, but you cannot recover in any of these um, time frame.
Okay. So, for example, uh, if uh, you can remediate to these by, for, for example, uh, parallelizing the, the archiving process. So, in this case, you will still have, you know, some moments where in high workloads, wall files accumulate, but they eventually, you know, uh, um, come back down. So, they could be... Uh, bulk load operations. And also you can tune the, the, the size of the wall file. Uh, for example, in this case, I was experimenting 64 megabytes instead of the default 16 meg megabytes. And this is another example of the graph. I mean, all of these might be okay. Okay, so just don't get scared when you see them because they might be, uh, again, bulk load operations or vacuums. So you need to uh, learn uh, how to read these, these kind of um, uh, graphs. Anyway, there's more, you know, we want to continue working on, on CMP bench. So we're planning to uh, improve uh, running uh, multiple tests, uh, tests with increasing number of client connections and also to manage automatically the repetitions of the test. Otherwise you have to, you know, write your own bash scripts that collect the data and, and help you um, produce those kind of graphs I showed before. Uh, we want to support custom PGBench scripts so that you can uh, not only use the old TP OLTP like benchmark that PGBench produces, but also your own uh, custom queries on your uh, um, databases, not the PGBench one. We also want to improve support for HammerDB and introduce further uh, tools for uh, benchmarking the database. And we also want to introduce application level benchmarking, which is something we had already done uh, before, for example, myself at second quarantine, where uh, the idea is to introduce web application uh, load simulation with uh, Hay. And uh, this allows us also to scale horizontally in terms of front-end, so, so front-end, so simulate multiple uh, client, multiple nodes that are uh, targeting uh, the database. So I, I talked several times about cloud-native Postgres and uh, it, that's the operator that we have developed uh, at EDB. Uh, the reason why I'm, I'm actually showing this slide is that, yeah, I know it's open, it's not open source, it's closed source, and it's currently available for trials. Are we actually planning to open source CMP in 2022? So I'm really happy to, to uh, declare the intention of EDB to do this. It's fully declarative and it's, and, you know, a different probably, um, direction we took with our operator is that it doesn't use, for example, stateful sets. We manage our own persistent volumes. It, do, it doesn't use an external tool for failover. So we're actually relying on the uh, Kubernetes API server as the source of, source of truth for that. And uh, uh, just to prove that, you know, we believe in database workloads in, in Kubernetes, uh, uh, I want to say that it, it's actually uh, the component that manages Postgres in the data la layer of Big Animal, and Big Animal is the uh, database uh, as a service delivered by um, 
uh, EDB. So if you want to run um, Postgres in the cloud as a service. Um, so in, in conclusion, why is benchmarking important? Uh, let's not forget that data is the most important asset that an organization has, okay? And uh, as we, we are trying to push in this community that the message must be strong is that the data can live in Kubernetes and we have, it's our duty to uh, showcase these, um, these scenarios to, to the world and to actually uh, lead this kind of movement. And that's where we at EDB want to be with Postgres. I mean, we are, we are the leaders for Postgres in traditional environments. We want to be at the leaders also in, in Kubernetes. That's our mindset, okay? So uh, don't leave anything to chance, okay? This is important. Uh, before you go to production, benchmark your storage and know the good and the bad aspects of your storage. That's the important thing you need to know. You, know. you need to know the limits. You need to know until when you can rely on, a, on your storage and when you need to move to a different kind of storage. Same thing with the database. You know, you can uh, you know, plan for, a, for an eight core machine now, and you, can, you know that with, with this machine, you can get up to this point, and then it's probably better to move to a 16 core machine with you know higher amount of RAM and so on. Okay. Uh, remember, you might not be able to benchmark when you're in production. I've these I've seen this happening for many years. It's too late. It's too late. You cannot you cannot test uh, you cannot benchmark or stress test a production environment. At least I mean in some cases you, you probably can. But the risk is that you uh, put the entire, I mean, the other services at risk, okay? Because maybe you are using the same uh, uh, environment, same infrastructure, okay? Uh, same network and so on. Especially if you, in some cases where you're using shared storage, you might, you know, create uh, disruptions for, for the other tenants. Um, Dedicated storage and dedicated nodes. I won't stop saying this, how important for a database it is to have its own dedicated storage and its own dedicated nodes. That doesn't mean you, can, you, you can't uh, do otherwise. I mean, of course you can uh, use shared resources, shared, shared nodes and shared storage. As long as you've benchmarked and you know your system, you know what to expect. Okay, that's fine. But for a premium kind of uh, database service, it is important to have dedicated resources. Uh, shared nothing architecture is what we, you know, will we'll always uh, promote because it gives us predictability and, uh, uh, and, and performance. Again, first benchmark the single node, then step two, benchmark the cluster. So in a high availability cluster with uh, continuous backups, replicas, synchronous replicas, understand wall archiving, wall restore, all these processes, how they come into play, observe the system while it's been uh, stressed, okay? And possibly uh, create, generate chaos in the system by uh, um, triggering failovers, switchovers, 
And when you do these, always think about your RPO and RTO posture and goals, okay? They have to be, again, the reasons why you are doing all of this. And finally, you know, uh, I owe everything to Postgres. I owe everything to open source. Uh, study Postgres, especially if you're new, if you're young, um, and you might be tempted to use other, for example, other databases because it maybe, you know, Postgres has been around for so long that, you know, cool features have been developed five or 10 years ago that they're not promoted, okay, in, in, in the last time. Just spend some time on Postgres. I'm sure that you'll find, you know, features you didn't even know that Postgres already had, okay? So yeah, that, that was it. So thank you for, for listening and uh, uh, yeah, but up to you. Very, very good stuff. Um, very well-rounded and lots of depth on the explanations. Now we are getting towards the end of 2021 and it's interesting that you're mentioning about, you know, Postgres has a very long lifespan and perhaps like you said, maybe that's some younger folks out there like, no, I want the new shiny database that has all these bells and whistles. But what, um, what expectations do you have? It's difficult and we don't expect, you're not a prophet, you're a very intelligent man, but we know it's not your job to know exactly what's gonna happen. But if you could predict, you know, would you expect to see a lot more adoption of data on Kubernetes in 2022? Um, what role will Postgres play in that? If we just want to focus more on that specifically, what do you think we can expect to see? More use of operators, further developments in that area? What do you expect? Well, I definitely, um, I definitely expect more adoption. I think, um, I don't know about Postgres, but I'm actually hoping that, you know, there's more adoption of, of Kubernetes, cloud native. And the good thing about, about having the database inside Kubernetes is that we can pretty much expand the, the pipelines. Okay, so one of the major goals of Kubernetes is to create an environment, an organization that is more agile and uh, has a higher pace of development and, and higher velocity, okay? So we want to uh, deploy in a faster way and in a very safe, secure, and reliable way. And the best way to do that is through automated testing. So uh, I've seen many times, you know, Kubernetes environments running just stateful sets and the database sits outside, okay? Having the database inside Kubernetes enables to put the database inside the tests, part of the test and uh, have a predictable environment from the developers, a workstation, workstation to a staging environment, pre-production pre environment and production environments. So have full control of, of the whole uh, infrastructure. You know, we are abstracting the infrastructure with Kubernetes and with immutable containers, we are also able to predict, to reduce the variability on all these environments. So it's, it's a great opportunity we have. So I'm, I think we, we, we just need to continue hammering on the importance of having the workloads and our, our role is to ensure and to, uh, you know, deliver this message that it is possible. You know, um, it, can, it cannot be as mature Okay, as it is in bare metal and virtual machines, of course. I mean, we cannot um, expect the same level of maturity, but I, I see the gap that is 
you know, um, being closed every day, okay, but being sh um, shortened every day. So yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really, op uh, you know, optimistic about, about this, okay. So, and, you know, I don't know how many people will use Postgres or not. I mean, I hope, I hope. Quite a few. I mean, and there's a very strong community behind it. You know that very well. Yeah, know, yeah. Having, having been involved in community work. Um, so I do think there's, I do think there's genuine interest. You know, we had another live stream this week about it. Um, we've got another one, at least another one planned in January. So, you know, it's, it's a topic that attracts a lot of attention. We've got a, a question from the audience and that we do need to wrap it up. Um, can you talk more about your choice not to use external tools for high availability like Patroni and instead use a Kubernetes API? And how easy is it or not um, to use it to prevent uh, splitting brains? Yeah, okay. So uh, the reason for using that because Kubernetes, I mean, I mean, already has a, a like a consensus store at CD, okay? So the information is already there. And uh, uh, we decided basically to just rely on, on that source of truth. So basically we, every instance has a, in our, in our implementation as an instance manager, which is the PID one of, of every pod that runs Postgres. And the PID, and this instance manager is continuously, you know, uh, talking with, uh, with the API server uh, in uh, reconciliation loops. So um, we are, we've seen, you know, it was an idea uh, that, you know, the, the brilliant member, members of my team, of my team had at the start. And, you know, we saw that it was possible. So I think um, that's why we took that approach. And I'm, I'm, I have to say that, of course, it requires uh, intent, knowledge of the internals of Postgres, but that's what we've been doing for 20 years. And, uh, I, you know, members of my team have been writing all the internals of Postgres from uh, replication to, to continuous backup and recovery. So we are really, you know, that, that's what we breathe every day, you know, so we, we're, not, we're not scared about, about that, you know. So we decided to kind of, uh, um, model the information we know, the primitives, you know, how Postgres works with, with uh, Kubernetes, uh, the Kubernetes engine, basically. Okay, perfect. Very, very good answer. As usual, folks, if you want to continue the conversation, you can feel free to do so in Slack. Always open to, to get conversations going there. Um, can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly so that I can share yeah. mine? Yeah. Just and then the, the split brain, I forgot to say that okay. because because the you know the instance managers having having one source of of, of truth enables us to uh, have uh, fast control on the shutdown and demotion and uh, uh, promotion procedures uh, of of the of each instance in the cluster. Okay. Very, okay. very good. Okay. Um, perfect. That being said, this was the last live stream, which sounds crazy for me to say this. It's 2021. We've done a lot of live streams. We've had about uh, 65. I think the, the one that we did the last time with you, actually part one was live stream around number 49, I believe. So anyway, there's been a lot of stuff going on, um, and which has been very good. As usual, though, uh, as is tradition, uh, we have our wonderful artist, uh, Angel, who's in the background. Uh, creating an artistic depiction of all the things that were talked about. And obviously, there was a lot of stuff. We would probably need three or four drawings to get in there. 
I personally was hoping for a Pink Floyd reference since you mentioned another brick in the wall, but we'll be sure to get that in uh, in, in LinkedIn and Twitter when we, when we share the post, because that was a very nice reference, well played. And it's an invitation to the rest of you as well too. Play around with this stuff. It makes it much more tangible and accessible. We can relate these kind of things together. Um, so anyway, absolute pleasure as always. Looking forward to, uh, to interacting more next year. Um, yeah. Enjoy your holiday as best you can. To everybody out there as well, enjoy your holiday as best you can. Don't worry. Next week, we do have our Christmas concert. If you would like to play guitar, you are more than invited. <laughs> if, you would, if you would like to wait until KubeCon, that's okay too. Um, but I I'm looking forward to Valencia, you know? Yes. Yeah, we all are. Oh, it's, super, it's super close. For me, it's like a one-hour <laughs> flight. Um, and so, yeah, if we happen to meet up in Valencia, we will definitely be playing music there. I will bring guitars. I'll bring, we'll bring other stuff. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank uh, you, Bart. We'll see. We'll absolutely. Same, same thing here for me. Thanks, everybody, for thank attending. You. Thanks for the questions. We'll keep it going in Slack. Take care, everybody.